Today's scripture reading comes to us from Galatians 5, verses 2 through 23 from the New Living Translation. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is the word of the Lord. So last week, uh, Melinda taught us about 1 Thessalonians, and Paul is all happy-go-lucky. He's very, he's very kind to the church of Thessalonica. And then we get to Galatians, and it's hammered down, what the hell are you guys doing? You are all bad people. Like, this is his angriest book out of, sorry, angriest letter that he's written out of all seven letters. Um, he starts out with his normal greeting, like, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ, and then just hammers down for three chapters of, you are all wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Uh, so yeah, this is the angriest letter that Paul wrote. Uh, the only one that's kind of even similar is part of 1 Corinthians, but just for this entire book, and we saw it here in this chapter, and I'm pointing to the screen like the text is still up there, um, but we, we even heard it in this of, he's even telling the churches of Galatia that 
those who are telling you these things about circumcision, they should be put down to death. Like, that's harsh language from Paul. Super harsh, which is it's kind of a bit to, bit to struggle with. Uh, but, I mean, that's typically not the best-known part of Galatians. Um, anyone have any thoughts of, like, what jumps to your head immediately when you're thinking of the book of Galatians? Not just, like, what we read today, but just entirely the whole six chapters of it. Anyone got, like, a word or phrase that comes to mind? Sorry. Uh, so usually it's when we're talking about Galatians, we're talking about justification through faith and justification, just that word in general. Luther was big on it, and so he talked about uh, justification of faith, uh, where did it go? Just through grace, law, faith, and works. So sola scriptura, that whole mindset. I'm not going to get into the justification today. It's a whole other can of worms that I just don't want to deal with today uh, because we're going to talk about circumcision, the really fun part. You know, because why not talk about circumcision? It's, it's not a sort subject at all. Anyway, let's start back in kind of context of where we're talking about. So the book of Galatians, uh, similar to First Thessalonians from last week, it's written in the 50s. So early 50s, there's not a clear, concise date. Um, the material we're going through even said he, they thought about putting First Corinthians as the second book, because they're so tightly written together. Um, all of Paul's letters are really told in the, it's not even the fifth century, uh, in the 50s. So all of his letters are written in this very short time frame, 20 years after Christ was doing his teaching here on earth and after his death on the cross. So very short timelines. And then like, so after this, it's not until really the 60s that the next book, Philemon, comes into play. Um, so Philemon comes in at the 60s. We're talking early 50s here. A uh, couple of quick things to note. This is not only Paul's angriest letter, it's the one letter that he writes that's not true to his form. So we have at the very beginning his opening of grace and peace to you, churches of Galatia. So there's a standard greeting, and then normally after the greeting that we'd have, he would give a thanksgiving to the church. Um, he, he thanked them for the work that they're doing, but again, after the first five verses, he just hammers in and says, on Galatians 3 through 5, grace and, uh, that, uh, grace and peace to you, in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So immediately out the gate, he is breaking form because he's so angry with what these churches are doing. And that is an important note here. So in all the other letters that Paul is writing, He's writing to a specific community, so the church at Thessalonica, the church at Corinthians, the church, church at Galatia, or not, sorry, not Galatia, I'm talking about Galatia, uh, church of Ephesians, whatever. He's talking to a specific group of people. In Galatia, however, he's talking to a community of believers. Find where I put in the notes here. Uh, yeah, churches of Galatia is a region in Central Asia Minor that contains several cities. Um, these communities have become deeply conflicted since Paul was there, so other note to think about is Paul had already gone to all of these churches and all these communities prior to light in the letter. We're seeing the follow-up from his original teachings. So Paul would go to an area, he'd teach for a while, go away, get a report from them, and then write a letter back to the church. In this case, he's writing to a community, and he's so angry that he just he can't stop himself from being so polemical. Um, Paul himself was under attack. Some were accusing him of having falsified the gospel. The evidence is in the letter itself. 
it is the most polemical, um, and for those of you who don't know that word, I even had to look it up, a speech of writing that is, or a speech or piece of writing expressing a strongly critical attack on a controversial opinion. It's the most polemical or most attack worthy of all of Paul's letters. Yeah, so here we go. Gonna get down into the angry bits. Clearly, Paul is not feeling thankful for what was going on in these communities of Galatia. He was alarmed, furious, and adamant. What was at stake was vitally and crucially important to him. Most of what Paul is writing on in Galatians is not a theological treatise, so a lot of times in Corinthians we'll see that he's teaching the church how they should behave. He's teaching them how you should approach the table, how you should approach um, your life. He's not doing that here. He's not sending a long list of treatises that the church should follow and be a part of, or lured from. Uh, this is him responding to the critiques and issues that are coming to him from this community. Throughout the book, we hear when Paul say, we hear Paul say that he is teaching the gospel. So as Melinda pointed out last week when she was talking about 1 Thessalonians, it's really important to remember in this, when we're talking this entire series, the gospels as we know them did not exist. They were not written down. People couldn't just go to the local library, grab out the book of Luke and go, oh, hey, there's Luke, and he's a pretty cool dude, and he's written all these things down. These just didn't exist. They didn't exist, actually, until 20 years after Paul was writing these letters. Now, a lot of that is due to how, how information was disseminated in these cultures. We're very, very word-heavy and word-focused in what we do. We can easily reproduce text. We can easily just pull up a computer, download a PDF, or go to a website and get the exact text that we're looking for. These cultures around this time didn't do that. They just, they couldn't. One, about 95% of the people in these areas were illiterate. They couldn't write, they couldn't read. And even if they could, the cost of reproducing works was so astronomical that only the most, only the richest of peoples could afford them. I mean, you're talking at this time, someone would have to literally scribe it by hand and they did that for the next 1,400 years or so until the printing press was invented in Germany in the 14th century, uh, 15th century. Um, so yeah, it's really hard, and I'll just read the quote from uh, the Borg book. It's, some, it's in Melinda's office. <laughs> they lived in a pre-literate and pre-print culture, most of these documents had to be uh, read by a priest, whether from the Old Testament or the soon-to-be New Testament. Oral tradition is not about rote memorization, as we are used to. Rather, it is about the gist of the story. The point and lesson of the story was more important than the exact words. So uh, he gives the example of the story of the Good Samaritan. Usually we can read that in about four minutes, but given the case and probably context, Christ would have Taken that, taken that story from like a four-minute story to maybe 30 to an hour long, depending on who he's talking to, because for oral traditions, it's not about rote memorization of a text. It's about making sure that you get the idea and the story, the idea and the point of the story. So in a good Samaritan, it's about being good to your fellow humans. And depending on who you're talking to, you might need to go a little further, especially if they're a little thick-headed. Um, so right, that's, that's kind of the background for Galatians. There's a lot going on in there. Um, 
So why, why was he writing to this church, and why was he so angry with him? Well, I mean, first off, he, he does this at the very beginning of the book. He is very upset that people are thinking he's a false prophet, and he's a false teacher. So he even opens the book by saying, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. So he spends the first half of the book, one, being angry, and two, showing his credentials, as it were, like saying, no, 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 I, I have authority through revelation of God, by God that I am able to speak these words. I did not receive them from another man. I didn't even receive them from Christ while he was here on earth. They were departed to me by God as a revelation. And we learned this in Acts when he was on the road to Damascus and the whole point of changing from Saul to Paul. Yeah, so you get him opening his letter, stating the gospel he received was not for man, and then just keeps hammering that end to them saying, yes, I have authority to do these things, and yes, I have been given this. I'm not a false teacher. I'm not a false prophet. Even go so far as to say in chapter 2, where'd you go? That the apostles James, Peter, and John accepted him as a co-worker and fellow apostle in the teachings. So he's showing his credentialing still saying, Yes, I have received this word from God, but hey, these people that were with Christ while he was here on earth, they also see me as a fellow co-worker and as a fellow apostle in his name. However, uh, he then goes on to bash Peter a bit because Peter was being hypocritical in his views of shock and awe circumcision. Peter was willing to go with the Jews and preach the gospel of Christ, but was not willing to go preach to the Gentiles because they were not circumcised. A little two-faced there. So that's issue one. Part of the issue Galatians were having, aside from dismissing Paul's teaching, were that some were teaching that in order to follow the teachings of Christ, one must be circumcised. And so he spends the first half saying, here's my credentials, here's why I am correct and right to teach you. And then he starts to follow up and saying, but those who are teaching you that you have to be circumcised to receive the word of Christ, to receive the love of God, are false. After Paul left Galatia, probably, probably some years earlier, uh, other teachers who were Paul's opponents in Galatia had told the people there that, yes, Gentile males had to be circumcised and follow Jewish food laws. For them, it seemed, to be, seemed obvious that what Jesus began was a movement within Judaism, and that for Gentiles become children of Abraham, they had to enter God's covenant with Abraham, which included circumcision. So this group of people in the Galatia area were telling these churches, okay, cool. Like, yeah, Paul came and taught that you can receive Christ and you can receive all that love. But, you know, it's not really true and valid unless you go through circumcision. A quick side note. So in our in our idea of circumcision, we think, oh, it's a medical procedure done on babies after they're born, or males after they're born. Anyone want to take a guess around the time frame that this would have happened to people in the first century? Usually when they reach adulthood, which in the Jewish culture is 13. And if you're a later convert, a Gentile converting to Judaism, it's whenever you convert. So you're an adult male in this world when you get circumcised. So when someone says you have to be circumcised, it's not this, oh, your children have to be. It's no, 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 stop, drop, and uh, 
We're gonna take care of that now and have some fun with this. <laughs> so we're talking like pretty big physical commitment to this idea. So the fact that there's teachers in Galatia teaching that you have to be circumcised to receive the gospel to, because you're following the law is a big deal physically for your, your physical self. Like you're gonna have to take on physical pain to do this. And so like just remember that context of we think it's this, this very antiseptic, very clean procedure performed on children. No, it's, this was done on adults as they're fully grown humans. So they should, they're fully consenting, yes, but it's not gonna be painless, like at all. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> yes, to say the least, as Melinda said. Um, so that's, that's a large part of probably why Paul's so angry. Like the, there's just the physical desecration about that, but he was literally just teaching, you don't have to follow the laws of the Old Testament in order to you know, be a follower of Christ. That's not what's needed here. And he talks about it a lot. Like we saw in chapter five, he's talking about it a lot. He talks about it before that in chapters three and four. He, he was hammering this idea home so much. Um, but the focus on speaking to circumcision here is to show that works focused on outward appearances do nothing to move our faith forward. Oh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead in my notes. We'll, we'll, we'll caveat that for now. So yeah, if, if circumcision is not needed, then why are people teaching it? And so you get in the beginning of chapter 5, Paul saying, if you get circumcised, if you choose to do that, if you choose to follow this law, then you must follow it fully. In five, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, and this is from the NIV, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are not trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. So Paul's very clear here, and this is a large part of why he's angry. It's saying, if you're following this rule and this law told to you by these other teachers, you must follow the entirety of the Levitical law. And this would have been uh, the teachings from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, as what they would have called the Torah, our first five books of the Bible. Um, like You must follow all those laws. If you're doing this, you have to commit yourself to this. And if you commit yourself to this, then Christ is of no value to you because he has come to fulfill, said the, the old law, and it's no longer valid for what you're doing. So he's so angry because people are teaching that, well, yeah, you can, you can be a part of this, but you still have to follow the old law. And that's not what he was teaching at all. That's not what Christ taught at all. So now going back to the point I was going to make a bit, the focus of speaking to circumcision here is to show that works focused on outward appearances do nothing to move our faith forward. They are simply a show of the self. It is the works that are taken toward the community in love that show our faithfulness. And he gets to that in chapter six, uh, a little bit after what we finished reading here with uh, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, the NIV, and I'll get to that more in a minute, uh, are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, and yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. 
flesh. He's calling it like he sees it. Like the reason they want you to be circumcised is so they seem more powerful and they seem more authoritative in the law because if you follow them and you do what they say, then they have power over the power over what you do and power over what you think. So Paul is angry here at the churches of Galatia, not because they are continuing to practice the Jewish customs alone, like he's angry about that, but he's not angry about that alone, but rather he is angry because these communities are placing these practices as the very thing that will show their faithfulness above all, above love for one another and above the love of God. Like that's what I take away from this text here is that Paul is so angry about this idea of you have to follow these rules because it's placing that rule set above the love of everything else and love for each other. And so the dominant theme of Galatians 5, 13 through 6, 10, kind of the back half here, comes in the command to love. Love is not another heavy load laid on believers like a new law to replace the one from which they have just been freed. Rather, love is the expression of true freedom. And then he goes on to talk about a little bit of that idea of freedom. But before that, so there's usually, there's um, verses 19 through 20. Yeah, 19 and 20. Those are the verses that usually stick in my head when I read Galatians. Um, so if you're like me, and you grew up in a Christian church, Church of Christ, non-denominational, whatever you want to call it, Usually, by the time you got to Galatians and in high school, you're talking purity culture and a lot of shame-driven ideas about what is right and what is wrong. So a lot of times, these verses were trotted out as, okay, you read this in the Bible, there's the things you don't do. You don't do all of these things, and if you don't do all these things, you will be a good Christian. And you will be right with God if you don't do these things. And it's, it is a laundry list. Um, I'm going to read here from the NIV because they translate it very differently than how the New Living does. Um, and I chose the New Living for a very specific reason. I'll get to that in a second. But in the NIV, it's the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So as a teenager and all that fun stuff, that was trotted out as the don't, don't, just don't. And like, and if you follow these things, don't do them. And usually those were just, those verses were trotted out on their own. You get none of the context of what came before and you would not get the immediately following verses of 21, and, or sorry, uh, 23 and later, or 22. I'm, where they talk about the fruit of the spirits and what those fruit of the spirits are. Uh, and actually this verse is what started the catalyst in my head about what I want to talk today. I was sitting right back there where Ken is actually, uh, reading through Galatians and just thinking, you know what these look like? These don't look like the laundry list of sins that you should not do. Yeah, there are things in there that are objectively bad. Like there are just things that you should not be doing. But when I read these texts now as a early, I don't even, as a 30-year-old man, 30-ish, um, I see this as a list of things that are focused on the self. Everything in this laundry list of ideas reads to me as if, if I focus only on myself and I only care about my own needs and I only care about what I want and not what the community needs, these are the things it can lead to. So it, I'm not reading this now as a list of 
the don'ts. These are the don'ts you have in the Christian faith. I'm reading, I'm reading this as, if you focus only on yourself and only on your own specific needs, this is what happens. So it doesn't become a list of don'ts. It becomes a list of warnings at this point. I don't know if how that sits in your head, if that makes a little bit better sense of it, if it sits wrongly, but like that's how I, I'm reading it now. I read from the NIV on those big laundry list of things because that's the one that I grew up with. I grew up with the NIV and I grew up with that translation of the flesh is bad. Like, and that's got some really bad body images and that's got a whole lot of baggage attached with it. But I like how the New Living Translation uh, translates the word flesh, which in the Greek comes into the, comes into the word sarx, S-A-R-X in our English lexicon, uh, which does mean flesh. It means the physical body, but it means the entirety of the body. Not just, like literally, not just my skin, but what inhabits and what entails the human nature. So it, it fits that, and I like the way the New Living Translation translate that as when you defy, follow the desires of your sinful nature. So it translates it not to say that your body is the bad thing. It's that if your sinful nature, if who you are as a person divorces itself from Christ, these are what can happen. So that gets to the point of how I'm now thinking about it. Translations help everybody. Like if, you have, if you've only read one translation in your entire life, I actually recommend reading a couple of different ones because sometimes you get those different little word plays um, and you don't have to go into the whole, well, let me do a biblical word study on this work in the Greek to, or Greek to see how it's actually translated. It helps you get a better idea and a better concept of, oh, maybe this is a little be better way to think of it. So as I read through this now, I think of your sinful nature, and again, that could come with some baggage. There's always baggage with scripture. You're never gonna get away with just a clean interpretation, um, but it helps, and this one has helped me. So yeah, it, it's, it's a messed up view, but I think the antidote to that idea of the laundry list and the idea of, oh, I have to do these things to fulfill my, my relationship with Christ. Like, if I do these things, I can't be in a good relationship with Christ. The antidote to that, and if we think about what Paul's talking about of, no, you don't have to follow these rigorous rules and follow a law to get the fulfillment and love of Christ, the antidote is the next, is what surrounds that. It's verses 16 and 18 above it, which is, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing anything that what, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do a, evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So they, they butt each other a bit. Your sinful nature and the nature, desire of the Spirit fight each other. And then in the following verses, where Paul says... The Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That's a, that's a list that actually comes up a few times in his writings, I know, and comes up in Corinthians. And faith, hope, and love, that whole wonderful little mantra that now I've got the song stuck in my head. Um, it just happens. But that's the antidote to our selfish desires is focusing on love and not just the love of love of ourselves, because that just leads back into the sinful desires concept. It's love of community, 
you participate in these desires because none of these desires as I read them are focused on the self. Love, joy, peace, you can have that. Patience requires other people for you to be, practice patience. So the antidote to focusing on the self is to focus on others and to focus on others in the work of the Spirit. We have freedom in the Spirit to live our lives as we so desire, but the Spirit wants us to live our lives in such a way that we don't fall prey to our sinful desires. So then what, what is the entire point of Paul's letter to the Galatians to wrap us up here? Focusing purely on ourselves and our own pride leads to living a life that is focused on the sinful nature. Love for others through the Spirit is above all. And what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation through the cross. And that's it. Love through the cross and love of Christ leads us to not have to follow rigorous and rigid laws to find his love. And I'm sorry if you've been in communities and places in the past where they've told you that you have to follow these rules to get the love of Christ because that's not what Paul's teaching here. He's teaching the exact opposite. Like, you don't have to do that. He gets so angry at these people because they're teaching that you have to follow these rigid, rigid rules in order to get this love. That's not needed. And as Heidi pointed out, that's not, that's not imago. Um, like, we're going to get to the table today. We're going to take communion. And it is one of my favorite elements is, I think it's not strong enough of a word. Um, but it is also not, your relationship is not dependent on, your relationship with Christ is not dependent on you taking into the, in the elements. It's just not. Um, I think it is important too because it shows your commitment to your relationship with him, but it is not a requirement. There is currently, there is, actually the only requirement I can think of right now is that you love one another and that you take care of one another as Christ has taken care of us and loved us.